Girlfriends, episode number 263, A Bold Challenge for the Lady with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we have our very first guest who happens to be a bishop on the podcast. Bishop Joseph Strickland is going to be joining us to talk about his new book. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Thanks for showing up. Thank you for being here. If you are a first-time listener of the Girlfriends podcast, I want to give you a special welcome. I really appreciate you joining us here today. I'm hoping you're going to like what we share here on Girlfriends and want to join us again in the future. If you are sometimes or longtime listener of Girlfriends, you know I appreciate you too. Thank you so much for being here today. So this week, we have Bishop Joseph Strickland joining us to talk about his new book, which is A Challenge for the Laity. So his new book title is called Light and Leaven. And the subtitle is The Challenge of the Laity in the 21st Century, and it's newly out from Catholic Answers. I really did appreciate reading this book, and part of what I appreciate about Bishop Strickland's message is that he is focused on a call to holiness for the laity and the ways in which we are challenged in the world today to rise up and own the church. He really gives us that kind of empowering call. And I appreciate that because I appreciate the reminder that we can sit around and we can complain about the bishops and we can sit around and we can complain about them, you know, some of the very flawed things that go on in our church today. But we need to remember that we can be part of the solution. We are called to be part of that solution. You know, like I think of like the classic example of when you go to your parish and you complain, and I've done this, that there isn't any kind of community there, or there's not the right kind of community, or there isn't any programming for this kind of person or this kind of a need, or your church, quote unquote, isn't doing enough to meet your needs. Well, the reminder is, you are the church. We are the church. If we don't like what's out there, we are called to be a part of the solution. And that's what I really like about Bishop Strickland's message in this book. And I was glad to have the opportunity to sit down with him. I'm grateful that he was willing to come on a program called Girlfriends. (laughs) So it's a first for the Girlfriends podcast, but a first for him as well. So I hope you're going to enjoy this conversation. Take a listen. Hello, welcome to Girlfriends. We have a very special guest joining us here today. Bishop Joseph Strickland is here with us on Girlfriends. Bishop Joseph Strickland was born the sixth child of Raymond and Monica Strickland in Fredericksburg, Texas. He was ordained to the priesthood for the Diocese of Dallas on June 1st, 1985. Then in November of 2012, he was ordained fourth Bishop of Tyler. Bishop Strickland is host of the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. He blogs, he tweets, and now he's written a book. He's here today on Girlfriends to share about his new book, Light and Leaven, The Challenge of the Laity in the 21st Century, now available from Catholic Answers. Now, we haven't had a great number of male guests here on Girlfriends, but we have had my husband, Dan, and uh, Father Jim, who's my boss at Holy Cross Family Ministry. So happy to have our very first bishop. Welcome to Girlfriends, Bishop Strickland. I'm so glad you can join us. Thank you, Danielle. Glad to be here. Yeah. So 
let's just dive into this book because I really enjoyed the time that I spent reading this book, which is newly available from Catholic Answers called Light and Leaven. So to get us started, can you just share with us what made you decide to write this book and why now? Well, it's uh, kind of an interesting story. I was sort of uh, prodded into writing the book. Um, <laughs> Dr. Stacy Trasenkos, she would be a great person to have on your girlfriend's podcast, <laughs> but she is uh, the executive director of our institute, the St. Philip Institute here that we started back in 2017. And she said, Bishop, we meet weekly. And she said at one of our meetings, she said, Bishop, you need to write a book. And it really, I'd never thought of writing a book, but she said, you need to write a book. And then when COVID happened and everything shut down, she's very, very, has a great relationship with Catholic Answers. So mm -hmm. I think they collaborated or conspired either way <laughs> uh, and said, oh, we could get Bishop Strickland to do this. So the book, and I've had people say it sounds like that or it reads like that, but it really is 10 hours of conversation of mm -hmm. me answering questions. Um, and then they worked on it, edited, and we went back and forth and it was edited into what you read. But it really originated as like this, answering mm -hmm. questions about various things about Jesus Christ and his church that are where my heart is. And so it was easy. It, you know, it's a bit exhausting for it to be on the phone talking for a couple of hours. Right. We didn't do all 10 hours at once, but <laughs> like several days in a row. But it was good. And uh, then we certainly, with email, filled in some gaps or kind of explained things a bit further. But that's how the book happened. So uh, as I've told people, it's a, a fairly easy way to write a book. I just talked mainly, <laughs> some editing, but I didn't really write it down. I've um, heard that's how G.K. Chesterton wrote, right? Didn't really? he dictate? Well, that's pretty good company. But, it is. Uh, it is. And, you know, that gives your book a very accessible feel. So I think it's a, a successful <laughs> way to do that. It does feel conversational. I feel invited into a conversation as I'm reading these pages. It's not, you know, when someone says, oh, it's a book written by a bishop, they might think it's above their heads. But this this is really very much no, for the people. My head's not very high. <laughs> Well, one thing I want to talk about is you talk a lot in the book about this concept of reverence, and especially when you talk about how you aim to celebrate Mass and how that's kind of a countercultural thing, that reverence and quiet. And that really resonated with me because those are two things that I do think in our culture today we're, we're almost a little bit afraid of. Maybe oh, you could share a little bit more about what you mean by reverence. Yes, um, I totally agree, Danielle, that and I say that very often, especially silence. We are scared to death of silence. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some very deep spiritual reasons for that. And I, I'm glad that you ask both together because I think they're very connected. Reverence means awe. It means awareness of something bigger than us. We're probably, I mean, little kids, uh, it's interesting because it, it just as I'm talking and thinking about this, little kids are often afraid of me as a bishop. I mean, they <laughs> see this guy with a pointy hat and a big stick and, you know, they kind of hide behind dad's legs. Right. Um, so there's a, a fine line between reverence and fear. Mm -hmm. We know the concept of fear of God. And I believe in the, in the positive way, I think our culture would say, oh, 
Yeah, if people that even believe in God would say, yeah, oh, fear of God, that's some antiquated notion. <laughs> and it, it certainly isn't a modern idea of being fearful, but being in awe and being mm-hmm. in reverence, being aware that God is so much bigger than anything we can imagine, so much more profoundly full of love. God mm-hmm. is much more love than we can ever fathom. And that's what I hope to, for myself and for the people that I serve, the flock here in Tyler and beyond, as as is possible with all the Zooming and everything. Yes. We really need to be in awe of God, in awe of what a wondrous God we have and the gift of his son. And specifically what I talk about in the book is we talk a lot about the liturgy. Mm -hmm. I was ordained, as you said, in 1985 in a very different place for me, in a very different church in many ways. Um, There were aspects, uh, I mean, the church is always a a huge family that it's like a huge family. There's there's this uncle and then there's that aunt and the cousins over there. And so the elements of what we see in the church today are always, have always been there. We've always been very traditional people, very cutting edge people, all the different mix of that makes the church. One of the descriptions I remember from when I was uh, the time I was in the seminary, when I was ordained, a description of the church that I like, a very human, here comes everybody. Yes, I love that too. (laughs) I think that that is the kind of church that Christ, he wants everyone. And in some ways, I think we've sort of thrown in the towel on that. And one of the ways that I believe we can return to that mission of serving every person on the planet is to, for all of us who believe, to deepen that reverence. We mm-hmm. believe, and I'm sure where you are in New Hampshire, I mean, we've read the, the p- opinion polls that say a huge percentage of Catholics may not really believe in the real presence or right. are only, you know, sort of not too sure We need to be all in. We need to be absolutely believing that the eternal Son of God appears on that altar in the form of bread and wine at every Mass that's celebrated. And I believe reverence builds on reverence. I guess I would say that, that a lack of reverence, and we can't get into it here. It touches on it in the book. Sure. but the liturgy that was presented to me as a priest was was not very reverent. It was wanted to be warm and welcoming and community. But all of that, one thing that I think we must emphasize, especially for our Catholic liturgy, is that the, the horizontal and the vertical, the cross. I mean, yes, we want to welcome everyone. Here comes everybody. But what are they coming to? We're not just coming to a human encounter. We're coming to an awesome God, to a God that doesn't need our reverence. He's bigger than that. But we need to be reverent toward God, Father, Son, and Spirit, because we're created in God's image. And really, Danielle, I think that's at the heart of our brokenness as a nation, as a world, as a church, is we don't really believe that. 
We don't believe that God is love more profoundly than we can ever understand and that we are created in that image of unfathomable love. We just don't really believe it. Um, right. Too many people, I'm sure you know, and you've probably struggled as I have. We're, we have a lot of sin. We have a lot of broken, sad people. We have people struggling. And I think the root of that so often is because we don't really believe that God can love us no matter what and loves us in his mercy to pull us away from whatever sin we fall into. That's for the whole world. And that's for you and me, precious in the eyes of God. So that's what the reverence is about for me. It's waking up to who we are. And the more we can acknowledge that God really does come to us and calls us to a higher place. That's why the churches of Europe are so high. They immediately, the architects knew what they were doing. Right. They call you to look up to the heavens. Yeah. We used to have mass here in the office building of the, the chancery, which is the typical office building with the acoustic tile ceiling. <laughs> you look up to that and you say, oh, that light bulb's about to go. You know, I mean, it, it <laughs> You're right there inspire. in the mundane. <laughs> you need to have soaring height. And that's right. what the cathedrals of Europe did. I think even the architecture of churches that were built around the time that I was ordained, 1985, a lot of them were in the round and much more flat. And it just doesn't do what church needs to do for us, what the mass is about. It calls us to our highest selves into a higher place with God. So as you can tell, I can talk about this <laughs> for the rest of the morning. You very, may have other questions. Yes, very clear. You're <laughs> passionate about that. But related to that, you talk in the book about um, having a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's a phrase that we often hear as Catholics and that the Protestants kind of own it, right? But you make the really important point, I think, that a personal relationship with Jesus is the Eucharist. Like we have that or we're meant to have that. Um, maybe you could just share a little bit more about what you mean by that. Well, and, and really, Danielle, I have to say that's been a, a big part of my own journey. I've always believed I was raised in a, a solid Catholic family that we knew that that bread and wine becomes the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. We mm -hmm. embraced that Catholic teaching. We were taught it from very early on. We had a, an understanding of that. But my own here in a very evangelical Protestant world, we're at the most 8% Catholic here. And mm -hmm. that's probably a stretch for a lot of our 33 counties. But I've grown up in this area where people have speak of their personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is, I speak for myself and the Catholics that I know, I think we have a more reserved spirituality. We don't speak the way that the evangelical Protestants around here do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be standing in line at the grocery store and someone may ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And for right. us as Catholic, we're kind of like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm just getting a loaf of bread. What are we doing here? <laughs> but it, it really is a beautiful reminder, hopefully for us, as I've told kids in confirmation classes, absolutely, we are called to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he feeds us. He 
is there present. And we're not just to look at him, but we are to consume him. And that you probably studied in the Gospel of John, the, the actual translation, it says, you, you need to gnaw on me. You need to munch on me. <laughs> it's that kind of language when he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right. I think we need to really deepen that relationship with the Eucharist and with Jesus Christ through his Eucharistic presence. So when we do that, I can tell you my my own experience. I mean, I've been a priest 35 years. That's probably longer than you've been alive, but <laughs> not quite. <laughs> my reverence has deepened as my relationship with the Lord of the universe has deepened. I mean, I can get choked up pretty easily talking about this because I love Jesus Christ. I love the church he's established. He is love beyond imagining. And when you have a relationship with love beyond imagining, it changes you. Mm -hmm. And so I pray every time I celebrate Mass, a lot of times just a simple Mass here in our Chancery Chapel or wherever, I pray to deepen that reverence myself because I love and respect our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you love and respect your husband. You want to do your very best for him of whatever you're doing. It, and that's what happens when you have a loving relationship. That's what happens for me. And I, I'm sure that's true for a lot of priests and bishops. But as Catholics in the pews or at the altar, wherever we find ourselves in the church, I think we've got to really embrace that. Say, yes, I believe this. I want to deepen my relationship with Jesus Christ through the word of God, through all the sacraments, but especially through that real presence, we should be able to go to adoration and talk to him. Honestly, I'll tell you, Daniel, that <laughs> I really pray best alone because then I'm not self-conscious about talking out loud. Right. You're not performing for anybody. I mean, I've never, never had an allocution, never seen a vision, never had, you know, Jesus hasn't spoken to me. I, I'm well. I welcome him to do that. <laughs> I, certainly, I've, as I'm sure you have in prayer, you you feel like God has spoken, but I haven't heard voices. Right. But He hears my voice a lot, and actually, I'll be even more confessional. I guess I like to sing in when I pray. That's beautiful. I like to sing the 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 chant the antiphons from morning prayer, and just. And sometimes, you know, I get a little carried away and just keep sort of chanting one of those that, that just really speaks to me at that moment. But that's what we need to do in our prayer. And, you know, if people are actually in adoration when it's with a group, I know there's some people that have that same spirituality where they're they're wanting to sing out loud or talk. But, yeah. you know, you got to respect <laughs> other people. Everybody's coming at a different angle. That's why I like to be, my favorite place to pray is in my little corner chat. It literally is just a corner of the room, the little chapel that I have where I have the blessed sacrament and I can pray and adore him. And we talk. I mean, I talk, he listens. And sometimes I, I feel him speaking back, even though I haven't heard his voice. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I think I'd, I'd love to have the Blessed Sacrament in a corner in my house. But for those of us who don't have that, having just a corner in your in your home that you have set aside for your prayer, I think can do a lot. Here on Girlfriends, we've talked a lot about making a habit of daily prayer. And that's one thing that can really enforce that habit is having the place you go to to do that. Absolutely. I would urge families, we need that um, domestic church to be fleshed out more and more, to, to have a crucifix, to have a couple of statues, to have things that evoke church and that relationship with Jesus for you. Certainly, everybody mm-hmm. can't have, I mean, I'm I'm blessed because I have the extra responsibilities of a bishop. I also right. have the blessing of having that easy access, you might say. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> I would urge every mom, every single woman, every Catholic needs to have that. And it's very much in the cultures. We have a lot of Hispanics here and they have the altarcito, the little altar that's mm-hmm. that's part of their home in a lot of the places where they have a statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe and a crucifix and, and yeah. other prayerful objects, things that evoke their faith and help them to focus because, you know, we're human. That's why churches have all those different images to help us focus and not get distracted by the radio or the television or the computer or the trucks driving by. You know? Exactly. Yes. And and it's so helpful too for setting that example and bringing our kids into it. Because, you know, one thing that stood out to me in uh, Light and Leaven, Bishop Strickland, was that you talked about the Baltimore Catechism. Because so many of us as moms and dads today, we're, we're really wondering like how you know, I can work on this personal relationship with Jesus. I can focus on the Eucharist. I can go to mass. How do I give that gift of faith to my kids? And so I love that you mentioned the Baltimore Catechism because I was born in 1972, which meant I was supposed to be getting that watered down catechesis that you mentioned when I was going to CCD. But my parents, my awesome parents pulled us kids from CCD and homeschooled us just for religion. And they used the Baltimore Catechism. And, you know, I've didn't even realize that there was anything unusual about that at the time, but then uh, now we use it with our own kids. And you spoke a little bit about the value of, you know, some of that rote memorization for, for owning our faith. And I can tell you from personal experience that that really does happen. Like there were so many parts of the catechism that I knew I memorized as a kid. I didn't know what the words even meant maybe, you know, but I, it was a beautiful thing to grow into the meaning of those passages as I matured in my faith. Could you talk a little bit about not just the Baltimore catechism, but um, the ways in which parents are are called to impart that faith to their children? Well, and I think Danielle, that what, what you are, are alluding to is, is part of how we learn as human beings. And we we stepped away from memorization across the board. I mean, I was just with several families last night that homeschool, and the kids were proudly reciting poems that they've memorized. Mm-hmm. I don't hear about kids, even in our Catholic school, maybe they do, and I just don't know about it. But I know that we had to memorize things, and, and most kids say, ah, why do I have to memorize this? But <laughs> that's something that needs to, and I'm sure there are places that like your parents and, and you're doing with your kids, like I said, there are pockets where this is happening, but certainly not the general approach to things. And mm-hmm. certainly with the faith, the faith, if we really reflect, 
it's the most important thing we need to learn. A, a relation, how to relate to God is foundational for being a human being. Because like I said earlier, we're created in the image and likeness of God. We need to be able to relate to our creator. And so learning some basic memorization of, and it's interesting because even in the era of, uh, we don't have to memorize anything. We learn the Our Father. If, if you're, that's a pretty basic prayer mm-hmm. for Christians and certainly for Catholics. And maybe you remember, I don't remember being told, go memorize the Our Father. <laughs> no. It just sort of soaks into us. Right. And, and little kids are trying to, because everybody's praying it at Mass and hopefully with some home prayer as well. But certainly at Mass, if you go every Sunday, as our family did, that's how I learned the Our Father. Yeah. Nobody sat me down and said, memorize the Our Father now. Some of the other prayers, maybe the Hail Mary, um, but certainly there are prayers. I encourage people to memorize an act of contrition because mm-hmm. it's a great prayer to have portable. You know, it's just it's <laughs> on the go. You're, you know, anywhere you are, you can make a good, make an act of contrition before if you can't get to confession. So there are lots of prayers to memorize. And the great thing, the studies tell us that it's good for your brain. Mm-hmm. They say that for older people, it's good to continue to memorize things because it kind of dusts things off and keeps your brain lubricated, maybe. <laughs> but it, it's just a good thing. And certainly for prayers, and for just basic, the Ten Commandments, the sort of the basic lists of things, like you said, I think you put it beautifully that, sure, we, a kid at two, second grader isn't going to deeply understand a lot of this, but if it gets planted in their brain, mm-hmm. thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, all the commandments, then some of that is going to start to mean something deeper when they get into situations like, you know, those bells can go off and say, I can't do that. That's stealing. But right. if, if you don't really have that embedded in you, it it's less accessible to your daily life. Right. So <clears throat> as, as parents um, in today's world, I, before we run out of time, Bishop Strickland, I do want to ask you about social media. So you were you were blogging back in the day. You've got a blog now. You've got a radio show. You're active on Twitter. You are not afraid of embracing social media. But in you know my experience, I've also embraced social media in many ways. It's a little bit of a beast, and there's a lot of temptation there. There are a lot of ways that it can pull us off track. What do you see about the value of social media for Catholics today? And what are some of the cautions that y- you might share? Well, I, I, I think your choice of word, it can be a beast. The beast, Satan, Yeah, I'll just say it. The He's devil there. Can, can be there in powerful ways. The way I look at it, uh, Danielle, is it's the, it's the town square of today's world. It's the marketplace. It's where people talk to each other. And amazingly, you can talk to people around the world um, through Twitter or through this, through all sorts of instruments that we have. Certainly, like every instrument, uh, it's interesting. I just had a, a friend of mine who was troubled and, and maybe thinking, 
that they should withdraw from social media and all because the beast can be there. The mm-hmm. beast can raise his ugly head and does frequently. Right. But I, what I, the illustration I used that I, I find helpful was what about the printing press? Do we, do we say, I'm going to refrain from any printed material because garbage, evil, satanic, you know, practices can be printed mm-hmm. just like the word of God can be printed. So what I think we have to do with any sort of media, um, I love to say that St. Paul would have tweeted because <laughs> letters, he wrote letters. That was the technology of his day. Right. And we kind of laugh, oh, letters are technology. But if you think about it, having paper accessible um, and being able to actually write something down was not something that in in ancient, more ancient times was even possible. I mean, that's why they wrote on caves and chiseled into stone. So whatever the technology is, we we need to use our God-given discernment to, to, to sort the good from the evil. It's always been there. Um, there were probably somewhat pornographic cave paintings, you know, I mean, right. <laughs> that, that evil has always been part of broken humanity, and we can use whatever technology for evil or for good. Um, certainly, like with Twitter specifically, you know, I'll confess, uh, you shouldn't write a letter, you shouldn't do anything when you're in the heat of the moment. And I, I admit, sometimes my tweets are from the heat of the moment, I, I think I'm learning. I'm trying to <laughs> to tamp that down a bit to say true, but not to attack, not to mm-hmm. get caught up in the ugliness that sometimes it's not. Certainly, it can be evil, but a lot of times it's just crass and right. ugly and disrespectful, and that isn't of of God or of godly people either. And you know, sometimes we all get sucked into that. <laughs> Just recently, people have, um, as I, I say some pretty bold things, I guess. They shouldn't be. But in today's culture, you can say basic things that when I was a kid, nobody would have questioned. Now it's like, how dare you? Right. You, well, what's always interesting to me, I will say something that I, I believe to be the truth. And I, I try to say it politely. and But just calling people to the word of God, to the teachings of the faith, that we are created male and female. There aren't other options, all of that. And when the responses get crass and ugly and filthy, I think we need to just step back and say, wait a minute, where's that coming from? All I said, you know, I may have quoted Genesis sometime. (laughs) God created us male and female, male and female. He has created us. That's in the book of Genesis, that basic human reality. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people are pushing against it. But to get crass and ugly and really use filthy language that, you know, some of the language that I have seen on tweets, it's like, I wouldn't even type that, much less say it. I think that's another element of, I mean, social media is a huge phenomenon that we really haven't got our our spiritual hands around or any of humanity. It's, it's sort of out of control in too many ways. I right. think we need to be very 
careful with it because it does tend to be used for evil purposes or mm -hmm. just for destructive purposes. And none of us need that. Um, in, in all the challenges we're facing, we need light and leaven. We need hope and joy. We need the goodness that God has created in us and in his world. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And we're running out of time here, Bishop, but I want to thank you, first of all, for, for being a part of Girlfriends today. I, I always love to um, get members of the clergy here on Girlfriends. It's fun well, to with, do because it's- Growing up with three sisters, I know all about <laughs> Girlfriends. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad to visit with some of my spiritual sisters. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we've loved having you again. The book is called Light and Leaven, The Challenge of the Laity in the 21st Century, newly available from Catholic Answers. Thank you, Bishop Joseph Strickland, for coming on Girlfriends today. Thank you. God bless. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. I want to let you know about a new book that is being released by Ascension. It is called The Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and it is co-authored by Father Josh Johnson and myself. It is coming out. It's going to be available everywhere you get your books, and I cannot wait for you to be able to read it and let your experience of reconciliation be transformed by God with a little help from this book. Okay, welcome back. I'm at the point in the show here where I like to share a little bit of listener feedback. A lot of times I'll take up a question that you all send me. So if you have a question for me that you'd like me to take on in this section of the podcast, please send it to me. You can connect with me through email, danielle at daniellebean.com. You can send me an old-fashioned email or record a voice memo on your phone. Send it to me that way. I would love to hear from you. Um, this week, I heard from Jennifer, and I'm going to be answering her question here today. This is what Jennifer sent in. She said, Dear Danielle, I'm really feeling stuck right now. We have five kids, ages four to 12, and I really want to homeschool them, but my husband disagrees. They're currently in Catholic school, but honestly, they've been home more than in school in the past year because of COVID. I actually like having them home, but navigating remote learning through their school is a nightmare. All of this has made me feel like we should just homeschool them and really be in charge of their education. I'm an accountant and I work part-time, but I feel like I could swing it. But my husband has some sort of prejudice about the very idea and he refuses to discuss it. After many arguments, I've resigned myself to stop bringing it up, but still every day I'm reminded of my longing to homeschool because of the struggles we are facing with remote schooling. How can I either convince my husband or really just let go of this idea myself? Jennifer. Okay. I appreciate that, Jennifer. And first thing I want to say is you are very wise to decide not to push it. I think that sometimes there are issues like this, and you might go through a time in your marriage where there are certain subjects that you just cannot agree about. And to keep pushing it and pushing it and stubbornly trying to convince the other person of seeing things your way is really a way of making you both very miserable. But it could be about something important and how you educate your kids, of course, is important. But you're wise to not push it because as I shared in a previous episode that I will, I'll put a link in the show notes. Let me write a note to myself right here to make sure I do that, that this is something that's important that you need to be on the same page about. So in a recent episode, um, probably not so recent now, but it was in the midst of COVID, I was sharing about ideas for homeschooling or how you can decide if you should homeschool your kids. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes in case you haven't seen it, in case anybody else is interested in checking out that episode. But in that, I really do point out that it's important to be on the same page about this, because this is a big undertaking and not one you want to be 
doing on your own. I I personally have known women who've taken it on against their husband's wishes. And boy, that's a hard thing to do because then you're feeling the pressure of making everything go perfectly. Not only not feeling the support, in fact, feeling antagonized inside of the decision you're making, but then feeling like it all has to come out perfectly and not being allowed to talk about any of the struggle or, you know, get any kind of help that you might need inside of the struggle, because it is a hard thing. It's a huge undertaking. It's a very challenging thing. It is not for every family. And it's important that we have our eyes wide open about that. So I think you're very wise to not push it right now. It sounds like you've reached that point where you've both kind of talked about it enough and you realize that you're not agreeing. So maybe you can just put it aside in your own mind, think for this year and, you know, for the rest of the school year, this is how it's going to be. And um, make your peace with that. And yes, your current circumstances that you are not enjoying with supporting your kids through remote learning at their their Catholic school is is challenging, but you can accept that, you know, in your own mind, at least and find peace in saying, I'm doing this for the rest of this year. And, you know, I think that's a really wise way to approach the idea of homeschooling or not homeschooling, however, you're going to educate your kids is deciding one year at a time making a commitment. This is how we're going to do it this year. And yes, you can change in the middle for whatever reason. But that can give you a little bit of peace, you know, right now to say this is how we're going to do it for the rest of this year. And then you do not need to bring it up um, if you're going to until, you know, the summertime, midsummer, perhaps when you talk about what you're going to do in the fall. Um, But so along those lines, at that point, if you are still feeling pulled in this direction, is there some hybrid of homeschooling and going to school that he might consider? maybe just homeschooling your kids for religious ed, like my parents did for us growing up. Homeschooling like wasn't even really a thing when we were growing up, but my parents did homeschool us for religious ed. Or maybe like just doing art class at home and kind of getting a feel for what that's like. You know, something, an extracurricular thing that you might do at home and getting a feel for what learning together at home might look like could give you the opportunity to try it out and give your husband the opportunity to see like, this is how it might actually look. And it's not such a crazy thing. After all, it might actually be doable. You know, is there some hybrid of homeschooling? And I don't know what state you're in, Jennifer, but different states have different rules for how much you can kind of do both things. Here in New Hampshire, we're blessed in that we can really structure it the way we want. And if we want to send our kids to school for one class or three classes and do the rest at home, we we do have the freedom to be able to do that. Um, But look into what your school might be open to. Maybe, you know, maybe they would be open to you homeschooling just for math or, you know, you said you're an accountant, so maybe that's your your strong point and that you might like to start there. But is there some hybrid of, it doesn't have to be all one or the other that your husband might consider allowing and that you would be comfortable with kind of as an experiment and seeing how this might go. And then thirdly, I would just say, you didn't mention any of his particular reasons. You say he's just against it. He has a prejudice against it. But what's that based on? Is it his own experience? Is it people that you know that he he doesn't um, he doesn't like the way it looks, the way that they homeschool? Um, find out what his real reasons are. And maybe you've had this conversation, but in case you haven't, you know, and then see if you can address them. Are they legitimate? And maybe they are, and explore them because homeschooling is not perfect. So some of his reservations about it could be legitimate. He could have, you know, experienced it done very badly. Maybe he has some, you know, media representation of what homeschooling is, and you could help him to see in the real world what it actually looks like, what it actually is. But be realistic about it yourself. Because sometimes when we really want something, like you're suggesting, you really have this longing to homeschool. And, you know, maybe that is God's will for you. 
and that's why you're experiencing it, but be realistic about the, the limitations of it and some of the imperfections of it and some of the real sacrifices that it will require of you, your time, your energy, and, you know, in the ways in which it will affect your family life. So a great way you can do that is talk to real people that are actually doing it and see what it looks like in their life. Find out how they've managed whatever your husband's particular concerns are. Does he have academic concerns? Maybe talk with people about how they how they manage their academic goals and or talk to people whose kids have gone on to college and, you know, what that looked like, how they did that, how it's possible. Or if maybe he's worried about your time, your energy, maybe he's concerned about, you know, the ways in which this will be taxing on you. You mentioned that you're working part time. And so maybe he's worried about that kind of balance for you. Or maybe he's worried about your kid's socialization. That's a common concern. Maybe just that would give you a chance to at least, you know, not in a combative way, find out what his real concerns are, and maybe they're multiple, and then seek out real people that have lived out homeschooling or are currently and how they've addressed those concerns. See if you can educate yourself and him along the way in a way that might contribute to him becoming more comfortable with it. But in the end, I'm going to encourage you to pray about this because I don't know what God's will is for you and your family. And the best way for you to figure that out is by bringing this to prayer. And it might be that he's calling you to homeschool. It might be that he's calling you to be at peace with this idea of not homeschooling and and kind of letting go of that. So see, you know, to find out what God's will is, bring it to prayer and then, you know, pray for the grace you need to accept what God's will is and pray for the grace you need and the wisdom you need to figure out how to get to that place where either you can be at peace with not homeschooling or you can navigate that conversation with your husband to where he could be at peace with at least trying it if that's what you determine God is calling you to do. I hope that's helpful. If other people have experienced conflict in your marriage over regarding whether or not to homeschool and maybe you have some unique perspective you'd like to offer Jennifer or other people here at Girlfriends, let me know. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. And that's all the time we have for today, but I do want to thank you for being part of today's podcast. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for connecting with me here. You are an important part of the Girlfriends podcast community. Thanks so much for that. And I want to thank Bishop Joseph Strickland for being part of today's show. And I especially want to give a shout out to all of you who have contributed to iTunes reviews for Girlfriends in the past couple of weeks. I've been asking for those recently and you have shown up. So I'm so grateful for you doing that. If you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast and you have not already done it, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to just take a moment to go onto iTunes and leave a rating and review for the podcast. It is so helpful. It really helps to promote the community on iTunes. It lets iTunes know that you're listening to and engaged with the podcast, and then it gives them the idea to start beginning to show it to other people in iTunes who are browsing for similar content. So it's a hugely helpful way that you can give back to the Girlfriends Podcast if you enjoy it, that you can help us to grow our community of listeners here. I am so grateful to those of you who've done it, and I'm grateful for you considering doing it. Thank you so much for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.